There's been a resurrection. How good is that? Christ has risen. One who went before us has come back from the dead. That is good news for all of us. And what we're going to look at today is one of those encounters with the risen Christ in John's Gospel. Our Bible base today is John chapter 21. And you can have that open in front of you. It's a long reading today, verses 1 to 19, and I'm going to read that for us in a moment. Uh, There's two well-known halves to it. You'll think, is he going to do two sermons this morning? Have no fear. I'm not. Just one. It's a story about um, a fishing incident and the recasting of nets for these seven fishermen. And then there is the Peter incident where Jesus reinstates Peter um, with these threefold lines of questioning. Do you love me? And it is jam-packed full of details. That's why it's so long. It's kind of got the feeling of an eyewitness account. There's lots of details like the net went over the right side of the boat and it was so large. There was 153 fish and it didn't break. You'll get the detail in a moment, but it's just got that feeling of an eyewitness account. And, um, but I'm not going to be able to share about everything. That's a confession. Not least because I'm aware of my own limitations. In studying this passage, is just so much. I don't feel like I've even scratched the surface of all that is here. Um, but here's what we're going to look at. We're going to remember what God did in Peter's life, verses 15 to 17. We're going to look at God's gracious invitation to work with us, verses 9 to 11, and ask, where do we go from here? as God's people, verses 18 and 19. However, as I'm reading the story, we have a treat for you this morning. I'm going to invite Lee up to come and cook us fish. Um, So as we're reading the Bible, and as we're hearing the Bible taught this morning, my friend and colleague Lee is going to be cooking some fish for us. And the idea is we want to fill this building with the smell of fresh fish cooking. Not least because it will be fun and memorable, because actually, if you know anything about the life of Peter, um, he is someone who denied Jesus three times, and he denied him over an open fire just before he went to the cross. And it is by no accident that Jesus reinstated Peter over this breakfast meal, over a fire, drawing up on that memory that was trauma for Peter. He reinstated him. So it's not just going to be a treat for the ears this morning, but for the eyes, as Lino DeCampo, if you've watched anything from Luminosity, the new white youth content, um, I don't know if you've had Lino with us at St. Thomas's in the morning before, but we're going to get that. It's going to be a treat for the nose and for the eyes as well. Isn't that right, Lee? Absolutely. So cook away, my friend. Light it up. I'm going to read now from John chapter 21. And if you can smell the fish cooking, then you're in for a treat. Jesus and the miraculous catch of fish. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught Nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, 
Haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the hill, find some, and they did. But they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water and the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. For they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with the fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Can you hear that sizzling? Magnificent. They had the fish. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him for the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death that Peter would glorify God with. And then he said to him, follow me. In church, when we read the Bible, we say at the end, this is the word of the Lord and an appropriate reply is thanks be to God. So church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can you hear that sizzling? I wonder if I bring the microphone close. I don't know if that's picked up on the live stream or anything, but it's starting to really smell um, at the front here of fish, um, which is very exciting. Um, memories. So I've just hinted that in um, John 13, Peter denied, um, he said, Jesus, I, I, I I will follow you to the ends of the earth. I would even die for you. And then in, in John 18, just before Jesus goes to the cross, we looked at this throughout Holy Week, which was just uh, three weeks ago. Um, he denied Jesus uh, three times. And you can imagine in someone like Peter's life, fresh in his memory would have been that betrayal of his dear friend. And I don't know about you, but when they heard Jesus in verse four, there'd have been that moment Sometimes it can be a voice. Sometimes it can be a song or a smell, you know, where a distant memory comes back to the forefront of our minds, something that maybe formed us um, as a child in the past and experience we've had for good or for bad. And so in this story today, it was in verse four, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore and the disciples did not realize it was him. And he called out to them, friends, 
have you any fish? And that would have triggered a memory. Is that our Lord? That familiar voice, is it him? And in his excitement, Peter, just before even um, thinking, just acts, dives out into the water and goes. Sometimes it can be a tune. Sometimes it can be a song that just sweeps us back in time. Sometimes it's even the smell. Imagine those disciples hearing Jesus' voice when they thought they'd lost him. Um, just a, a quick story to illustrate some of this. So at the moment, I'm going through some paperwork, exploring if I should become a priest in the Church of England, like a shared discernment process. And it's been an interesting time working it out. Um, one of the most interesting things is I've had to write like a bit of my life story. What are some of those experiences in my past that make me, me? And it drew drew me back in time to think about my earliest memory as a little boy. It was when I was three. Now, uh, my mum, I don't know my biological dad, but my mum married when I was young to a guy called Tim. And it's my earliest memory is sitting on his knee as a little boy and asking him to be my dad and him saying yes. Um, That's one of the most earliest memories I have and it has shaped me. I can remember the room. I can remember sitting on his knee. I can't quite remember the smell, but I remember his face. And I'm profoundly thankful for that moment in my story. What could have been something that would have been disastrous for me? Traumatic actually is turned to good. I have a father who loves me, who provided stability for me in those formative years. That's one of the highs. Imagine Peter in this story. Someone who is a follower of Jesus, who promised big, said, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. And fresh in his mind is this betrayal of the one that he professed to love. In John 10, Jesus says, I am a good shepherd. And what does a good shepherd do? Takes care of the sheep, provides for them as a level of oversight to watch out for the things that may hurt the sheep, but looking out for opportunities that he may feed. But ultimately, Jesus says in John 10, the good shepherd is the one who will lay down his life for his sheep. And Peter says in John 13, I will lay down my life for you, Lord. I will be the good shepherd. And he denies Jesus. And Jesus here in this story restores him to the position of being a shepherd after the pattern of Jesus himself. What does that mean for us? In reality, in this story, we're the sheep, not necessarily the shepherd. Peter is the one who is to have an oversight for the church going forward. And so Jesus has a particular thing to do with him. And we're quick to put ourselves in Peter's shoes, but really we're the, the sheep. We should be desperately concerned and very interested about how is this man going to respond to the invitation of challenge of Jesus. But there is something in the way that Jesus treats Peter that is universal to all of us. No matter what the failures of our past those formative moments, the good, the bad, and the ugly, there can be forgiveness and redemption in Jesus Christ. That is the beautiful news of the gospel. That is the beautiful experience that Peter has in this moment with his Lord and his God. And remember that the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news and not good advice. Good advice would tell people how to live. 
It's performance-based. And every other religion in the world would tell us to live a certain way. It is essentially good advice. But what is distinctive about the Christian faith is, in its very essence, simply good news. It doesn't say you have to do this. You have to earn a legacy. You have to sort your life out before you jump in the water and approach Jesus by swimming to him. No, what Jesus did on the cross was already done for Peter. It is news that he is to receive. We do not need to right our wrongs before we approach him for breakfast. It is good news. Peace has been made on the cross. And all those very moments that make you, you, the good, the bad and the ugly can be transformed into glory, just like the cross. A moment that was set to wreck Peter's life, a trauma that he would walk with to the end of his days that shaped him forever, became a testimony that God used for his glory. And you know, every time Peter would have seen a fire, every time Peter would have smelt fish, almost every time that Peter would have had breakfast, he would have remembered not his betrayal, but this breakfast with his Lord that reinstated him as a shepherd after the good shepherd of Jesus Christ. Lee, how are we getting on with the fish? It smells amazing. Should we try some? There's a health and safety warmer here. I mean, I'll do it if you'll do it. Right, okay. Glorious. Thank you very much. And I hope this smell lingers. I'm just going to put it here. I don't know how I'm going to carry on teaching from the Bible with kippers in my mouth, but um, here we go. But it's almost like it would have been sacramental for Peter, like a visible sign of this invisible grace to Peter, of God's love to him. Every time he'd have come near a fire, when the rooster crowed on that third time, just before Jesus went to the cross, it was over a fire that he had that final betrayal. And it is over a fire that Jesus reinstates him to the good shepherd. Done, swallowed. So we've got this fishing incident. Look with me again at John 21 now. The first half of the story where the seven disciples are out on a boat. And what we have here is a beach story. The disciples have returned to Galilee, maybe out of fear of what's happening in Jerusalem, maybe just out of obedience to what Jesus has asked them to do. He said, remain there until he sends his spirit. And they've returned to fishing. The kingdom had not arrived yet and they are looking for signs of God at work and waiting and they have to make a living. And they're in this sort of transitional moment, a liminal moment, the setting of this story, then being on a beach is sort of a living metaphor for what they're experiencing as followers of Jesus. They're at the end of something, about to begin something very new in the life of the early church. As the land ended and the sea began, it is an image of what is going on in the life of the church. And C.S. Lewis captures this moment 
beautifully, poetically in his book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. If you know it at all, it wasn't quite caught in the film, but it was good. But it was brilliant at the end where the children are, are approaching, um, or they're going back to England with Aslan and, and after they've had this amazing adventure and they have a conversation with him about how they can know him there. And there is this scene at the end where they pull up to the shore on the cusp of the kingdom of Aslan where he is. And um, they encounter this lamb on the beach who is prepared a fire and is cooking fish. And through their encounter with Aslan and they're saying, lamb, would you tell us, is this the way to know Aslan's country? Is this the way in? And the lamb says, there are many ways into Aslan's place. There are ways into Aslan's place from your world too. And the lamb is transformed. The lamb that was slain on the cross is transformed into this roaring lion. And um, I'm just going to read just from the end of Voyage of the Dawn Treader for us now. And the, the children are asking, how can we know you? And, um, and, and, and the lion replies, um, I shall be telling you all the time, but I will not tell you how long or short the way will be, only that it lies across a river. But do not fear, for I am the great bridge builder. And the children go to ask, will we return to Narnia? And Aslan says, no, you won't come back to here. And they are heartbroken, desperate, not because they won't see Narnia again, but because they're terrified they'll never spend time with Aslan again. Aslan replies, you're two old children and you must begin to come close to your own world now. It isn't Narnia, you know, sobbed Lucy. It is you we shall miss. How can we live never being with you ever again? But you shall meet me, dear one, said Aslan. Are you there too, said Edmund? I am, said Aslan. But there I have another name. You must learn to know me by that name. This was the very reason that you were brought to Narnia, that by knowing me here for a little while, you may know me better there. And I love that imagery. It's really interesting. Jesus is saying to the disciples who were desperate to know him in this new resurrection phase in the life of the early church. Um, as you go into the world, I will be with you. And I think C.S. Lewis captures that beautifully at the end of his story. You must go back to England. You must look for me um, by my name there. And as you go, and as you go back into that old place, but really it is a new place for you, look for me and I will be with you always. You've just got to look for me. And so what we've got here is this beach in John 21 that doesn't act as an end to the gospel. If you've got your Bible open in front of you, you'll know that this is the end of the gospel of John, but it isn't a full stop in the life of what it is to follow Jesus. It's the precipice of something new. It's a springboard in which the disciples will be launched from here on in into the nations. All of this anticipating Pentecost, the receiving of the Spirit where the church is sent to the end of the world with the good news, not the good advice, the good news of Jesus Christ, that peace has been made on the cross, that him who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God and know peace with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb that was slain. So John 21, verse 10, we've got this interaction with Jesus with these seven fishermen. 
Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. So Jesus says, bring the fish. But of course, he already has some fish to eat, doesn't he? On the beach. Jesus is sitting there with breakfast ready. So the question is a bit of a tease, isn't it? Haven't you got anything to eat? Jesus says, actually, here's some I made earlier. And the Lord is sort of preoccupied, busy preparing breakfast for his friends. There's fish on the barbecue. And yet Jesus says to these disciples, bring some of the fish that you've caught. And isn't that just wonderful, typical, the pattern of Jesus as we've been exploring him, particularly over this Lent and Easter season, that the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, was the one who stripped himself down and served his followers on Monday, Thursday. Do you remember that service when we gathered here to pray? And there was that washing of feet, this profound moment where the King of Kings bent low and washed, he served. And then he served them again on Good Friday as he went to the cross for you and for me. And then he serves them now, the risen Christ, coronated, risen again, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And he serves and he serves and he serves and he serves. Isn't Jesus beautiful? Don't you want to just follow him? Jesus has provided everything for them. And yet he gets the disciples to contribute as well. And there's this interesting interplay happening in this story between the provision of God who can do everything for us because he is the creator of the universe, the sovereignty of Jesus. And on the other hand, we have the effort and work of the disciples and we're not at pains to see it in the story as they have to haul the net in. On their own though, they catch nothing. And they must have been pretty deflated because if you're a fisherman, your identity is wrapped up in what you catch. I mean, I'm not much of a fisherman. I think my experience is limited to crabbing with um, my wife, Lucy, and her parents and the Wirral um, sort of Hoy Lake, if you know it, in the Northwest, Paradise Peninsula. Um, and we, would, we took the kids crabbing, I think it was a couple summers ago, and we were desperate to try and catch something. It went, we went a long time without getting any crabs in our bucket. If you've got any tips for us, we'd love to know them. And the kids were looking a little bit despondent for a while, but eventually we did get a crab. Um, but they must have been pretty deflated, these professional fishermen who couldn't catch anything. But then at his command, they received a massive haul of fish. They drag it in, but Jesus has provided for them. And yet Jesus invites them to play a part in the provision. What's going on here? Well, what God is doing in Newcastle or in our workplaces or on our campus, in the lives of those that we know and love is entirely down to God. He can do anything he likes. He can restore any relationship. He can provide any healing we need. He can lift us to any status. He can open any door. He is the Lord of Lords. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? We've sung it this morning. But he also invites us to bring our stuff to the table and add it to the buffet, the fuddle if you're from Yorkshire. It's kind of like a buffet, but more fun. Um, and it's not like our contributions are marginal or trivial to the work of God. 
He's got this pattern of involving us in his activities. In one sense, our efforts are inconsequential. Who can stop him? He can do all things. On another level, they seem really important to Jesus. And our part to play is not insignificant. And it never has been. All the way through scripture, God has this habit of involving his people in his activities. Think about it when we studied Genesis at the beginning of this year. God invites Adam and Eve to name the animals in the creation process. Think of it where we've seen bread and fish before in the Gospels, where Jesus miraculously feeds the crowd. He's the one who takes the bread. He's the one who blesses it and gives thanks But it's the disciples who are invited to go around and distribute it. And before their eyes, they see a miracle happening. The disciples are invited to play their part in the work of God. And their part is not insignificant. And the invitation is the same to us today as followers of Jesus, to get stuck in. It's not like Jesus was on the beach already with 153 fish saying, I've got enough for everybody, just come to me. At his word, they have to cast the net. At his word, they have to haul it in and they have to count it. The significance of this story here is not the size of the haul or that they get the fish to the, to the shore. It's obedience to Jesus. They do what he asks and he loves to ask, ask us. So if you're, you've got itchy feet here this morning, And you want to get up and go. Maybe when Daisy was praying for us in that moment of worship, saying, Lord, give us compassion to go to the lost, the least and the hurting in this world. And maybe something inside you was beginning to to stir. God has made you that way. He loves our gifts. He loves our skill. He loves our temperament. He's made you because he wanted you and he's given you that impetus to get up and go. He loves your activity. He needs it and to him, your contribution is not insignificant. He loves to use it. Even in Luke 10, when he commissions out the 72, I don't know if you've seen it. It's not like they just go where God is at work. He says, you go, you be the advance party. Go in my name, prepare away from me and I will follow behind you and do what I do. It's all in Jesus's name. It's all for his glory. But the contribution of the disciples is significant. He loves our gifts, but he also loves to serve us. Even now he's sitting at the right hand of the father, ascended in glory, interceding for us, mindful of you and of me. Remember, what is important in this story is not the size of the hall. Whatever those 153 fish represent, I've been doing some reading this week. I don't think anybody really knows. If you know, come and tell me if you're an expert in this chapter because even Pythagoras had an opinion on this 153 imagery. Um, But yeah, come talk to me if you know what that is. But what is impressive about this story is not the size of the hall or the talent of the fishermen, regardless of their success, it is obedient to Jesus Christ in following him. And we're going to finish with that idea, but I want to unpack it in one last way before we finish with a prayer this morning. Can you still smell the fish that reminds us of the goodness of Jesus? I can taste it in my mouth. Anyway, so we're asking this final question, unpacking the same thing, but from a slightly different angle. Where do we go from here? Looking at verses 18 and 19. 
remembering that this is for all of us, regardless of our age and stage. There's a poignant thing at the end of John 21. For those who maybe are a little bit longer in the tooth or have got slightly more gray hair than others in the room, there are these words in John 21 that really pack a punch. Verse 18, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Somber comments about the kind of death that Peter would experience anticipating his own martyrdom. And then, so we've got this imagery about Peter getting old. And earlier in the story, we've got the disciples who are fishing. And in verse five, Jesus called out to them and he said, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. And the word there for friends, we've got it as friends in our version, NIV, if you've got one in front of you, but the ESV, another version, actually uses the word children. It's the diminutive version. It's kind of the family term that it would use. And Jesus often referred to the disciples sometimes with this sort of, like a pet name. I guess the closest we would have here would be maybe little ones. He's saying, little ones, haven't you any fish? No, they replied. And I just love the abruptness, the one syllable reply of the disciples. It goes to show even that in a healthy family, you can have kind of a a robust reply, um, you know, when it's appropriate. Um, But I love, I'm just thinking about John 21 and I'm seeing there's this uh, imagery about what's going to happen when Peter gets older and there's this inclusion of the little ones right at the beginning. And I just think, isn't that an important picture about this family of God that is the church? Um, In the body of Christ, in this new age, we've been drawn together as a family, different backgrounds as the disciples represented, different ages, even as we see it here today in this church. And I love that that is included here in the gospel and we're to cherish it. But we're to remember the most important thing about you in this family is not your age or stage, your experience, the role that you hold or the the role that you once held, the prominence that you have or once had. The main thing for all of us to remember is that we're following him now. And those of us in the room who are maybe are a little bit older, we're so grateful for your example. You know, you could have cashed it all in, bought the Winnebago, headed to the coast and just put your feet up. But you're here in church this morning, worshiping Jesus following him with all of your heart, red hot faithful, and it is an inspiration. It's a great challenge. And if you're a student here, look around and look at some of the folk here who are still following Jesus. Don't you want to be that faithful when you get to that age and stage? We must do this together. But remember, it will be costly. Jesus is upfront about this. What he asks from you is your faithfulness. Cast your net on the side, he says, and we will be provided for. The main thing, though, is to keep following him. Obedience to Jesus. Keep following him. Could I invite the band back up 
we're going to pray in light of John 21. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray now.